Good day, everybody. I'm David Irvin. I'm a leadership development specialist and a best-selling author, and we want to welcome you to the Leaders Navigator podcast. What's uniquely special is that I'm doing this podcast together with my daughter, Haley, and I'm super excited about this opportunity to work jointly on this project that we are so passionate about together. And folks, it's a delight today to be with you. Uh, we, we have a very special guest today, a person who I have a great deal of love and respect for, and uh, I'm, we're just really excited to be able to introduce you, Don, to, to our listeners and introduce you to your, our, my daughter. I think you and Haley, we were just saying before we got on here that I think the last time you met Haley, she was about eight or nine or something like that <laughs> when you came to stay with us. So uh, she's. I'm hoping, I, I, I know she's matured uh, somewhat since then, so. <laughs> just a little. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm going to I'm going to start with an introduction of you, Don, uh, and I I love you because you're so you're such a simple, humble, grassroots guy, and this is what you sent for an introduction, and then I'll I'll elaborate a little bit a little bit on it. But you're born and raised in Meadow Lake, Saskatchewan. You're a second generation rancher. You're married to your wife Bev for 52 years. Congratulations! You've got four children, two of which have taken over the business. You're 78 years old. And you've used holistic management since 1985 in your business. And you've taught holistic management courses for 25 years. And we're going to get into that and drill into that more deeply, what holistic management is. But I'll tell you, I just want to say my own personal experience with you, Don. Uh, we, we first met in an Alan Savory course, I think, in 1987. And I've grown to admire and love you. Uh, we sat on that board together of holistic management back in the late 80s and early 90s as it got formed and we built uh, holistic management up in Canada. But you know, you've all you've been a mentor for me and uh, you've been a real teacher. And I think I admire you most for the what you've inspired me in terms of strong character. Uh, you're on my wall of influence. Those of you, most of you know that uh, we, I have this project going on that is the 25 most influential people in my life. And you're on my list. You're on my wall. And I'm delighted to, to introduce you to our listeners and to my daughter here. So welcome, Don. Well, thank you, David. That's a very generous introduction. I certainly appreciate it. And uh, like our friendship goes back a long, long time. I think it's been very, very mutually beneficial. Like I know I've benefited immensely. And if I've contributed to you, I'm thankful and amazed. Absolutely, you have. Now, Don, one of the things you have always inspired me with is to start with the end in mind. You always have a goal. And then the goal directs your behavior. So I thought it might be good today. If we're going to spend, I don't know, 45, 60 minutes together here. What would you say would be our, your goal in our time together? Well, I think David, like I'm, uh, I think we're moving into unprecedented times in the world. Like in my lifetime, basically since the end of the Second World War, we've had adequate food, we've had cheap food. And as we move ahead, the way we've managed the climate and the planet, we're going to move into a time of food scarcity and water scarcity. And nobody knows what that's like because nobody's experienced it. So I'm trying to say, people, be aware. Change is coming. It's inevitable because we can't stop it right now. We can change it and make it better, but we can't stop the change that's coming. So we should start to prepare, say, how am I going to adapt? And when I, when I raise this red flag, I don't see that as being negative or an alarmist. I say, we have an opportunity to do better. Let's pull together. Let's build a better world. Well, I'm intrigued by that, Don, because here we've got Haley on the call who teaches high school students and is involved in that generation. And then we've got your wisdom of 78 plus years here and, and your observation. And I'm just very intrigued with how we marry those two worlds, because this is a great opportunity that you have to impact our young generation coming up. Building on that, I guess, Don, would you have, and I guess we can get into, you know, holistic management and everything, but I guess based on, you know, we were just talking about having hope for the future. Um, is there any particular, you know, what would that look like? Like, what could you tell our, you know, teenagers or our youngest generation right now? What words of wisdom do you have for them 
uh, about the world going forward, if you could tell them, you know, a few key points, what would you, what would are really important for you to let them know? Okay, that's great, Haley. Um, I'd like to start off with saying I met Alan Savory about 1985, was introduced to holistic management. And holistic management is a decision-making process. So it helps us make decisions that are socially, environmentally, and financially sound at the same time. And I think we would all agree in our society, we don't do that. Most of our decisions are made because they're economically sound. We might care a little bit about the people. We care almost nothing about the environment. And that's been our history. So I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but I'm saying we can do better. So when I talk to young people or even myself, like in my own family, I think we're going to go into a crisis. It's going to be the best way that I can describe it. It's like if there was a world war, the world would change. When we create a food shortage and a water shortage, the world is going to change. But we've created the world the way it is, and we can recreate it in a better way. When I talk about agriculture, like basically what we're saying, when I first met Alan 35 years ago, he said, we're going to have more floods, more droughts, more desertification, unless we change our management. And in those 35 years, Alan had a lot of things developed when I met him. But over time, we've developed even more things. And basically, it's how to farm in a crop farming situation that mimics nature, that doesn't depend totally on chemicals or cultivation and all man-made things. And on the grazing side of things, the same thing is to mimic nature. And we know that like, the, the tools are all developed. So it isn't like we've got to go out and find an answer. We just have to apply the knowledge that we have. And one of the hardest things, I like to talk a lot about paradigms. And of course, paradigm is how you see things, how you were raised, your community, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it's very, very difficult to change paradigms. And I've been at this since 1985. So that's what, 35 years or whatever it is. And you know we're running into resistance. And most of the resistance comes from people that are highly educated in the field because they think they know the answer. And there's new information, new knowledge, and it's very hard for them to accept. Now, I'm going to put that in perspective if I can. Alan used to talk when they were sailing across from Europe to North America. Traditional thing was half the sailors would die of scurvy. And then one day, some brilliant guy came up and he said, on one of the ships, we're going to put lemons so the sailors can suck lemons. And we're going to put a ship beside it, a parallel ship with no lemons. When they got to North America, on the ship with no lemons, half the sailors died of scurvy. On the other ship, Nobody died of scurvy. Now that's pretty dramatic. Half the people died, half survived. It took 85 years for the British Navy to implement that. The merchant marine did it right away. And that's the power of paradigms. So that's what we're fighting against. And like, you know, we've had quite a lot of success spreading holistic management, getting more university people on site. It's coming, but it's slow. And the reason it's slow is because paradigms are so powerful. And what I see as a real opportunity is all of a sudden we're not going to be talking about things. We're going to be experiencing things. And people wake up and they turn their water tap on. They're getting water from the Hoover Dam or wherever. And there's no water. That's a crisis. We're going to want answers. And we have the answers that can be part of the solution. Mm -hmm. That's in agriculture. And also we have the decision-making process that can be applied to any business. So I'm tremendously optimistic. I think we can build a better world. I love that. Don, can we just step back for a bit? I'd love to hear your story in terms of how you were raised to think this way, how you mm -hmm. were raised. I want to drill more deeply into your thinking about what holistic management is and how it can apply to the world in general outside of agriculture. But just before we go there, I'd love to hear your story. What would you like to tell us about your upbringing that instilled in you these kind of values uh, for, for I'm, I'm going to use the word integrity and character and, and looking at the world through a holistic lens as opposed to a linear lens? Oh, that's a, a good question, but a difficult one. Um, I guess like when I go back and look at my family, and I just did that recently for actually a sage group I'm in, and my mother inspired me with her faith. I was raised as a Roman Catholic. I'm still a strong Roman Catholic. 
my dad, while he was not a churchgoer, he had faith and he inspired me with his faith. Dad would often say, if people would just live the Ten Commandments, we'd have a better world. And dad was a, he was a businessman and a rancher. And he was a, traveled in a wide variety of circles. You know, from the very poorest people to some of the wealthiest people in Canada. And he was never intimidated by the, any situation he was in. And he never intimidated anybody. He was always himself. And to my dad, people were important. Things like race, creed, culture, money, none of those things mattered to him. He was Bruce Campbell, and he treated everybody with dignity and respect. So I've had a desire to do that for my whole life, and I've had a tremendously good role model. So that's kind of my, you know, way back in my childhood days. I don't have many regrets in my life. One I do have is that I could have learned a lot more from my dad. And I mean, we had a good relationship, but looking back, I can see I could have learned so much more from him. But that's life. He's deceased now. Then and, we fast forward. Oh, go ahead. No, you, you keep going. I don't want to interrupt. Well, I was just I was going to fast forward to 1985. I heard a speaker. Um, what's his name, Beverly? Jerry Holtman. Jerry Holtman. And he was going to speak in Saskatoon at a grazing conference. And he said, you can double your grass by how you manage your animals. I was a 40-year-old young rancher, lots of ambition. Boy, nothing I need more in the world than double the grass. So I went, I met Jerry, listened to his talk. It's very good. It, it clicked, it made sense to me. So I thought I got to learn more. I went on from a journey. I took uh, ranching for profit school in June of that year. Then I branched into holistic management and it just kept going. And I'll admit freely, like when I went, I wanted more grass. Once I was involved and I saw, gee, there's a financial planning aspect that we can focus on being profitable instead of being productive. And almost everything in agriculture is about production. Just produce more and more and more and hope you're profitable. It doesn't work. The highest production and the highest profit are not linked at all. You have to produce at a profitable level in a profitable way, not high. So then I got that going. And then the next thing I realized, whoops, there's a people side to this. And that's when I was so fortunate, I met David, I met other key people, and I always had a strong people side, but I maybe kept it subdued. And people like David, Don and Betty Green, they gave me permission to express myself as a people side. And I see my greatest strength is that I really care about people. Mm -hmm. I'm willing to be influenced, and I'm willing to influence. And most of my success is not about me, it's about the wonderful role models from my, when I was a child, my parents, their friends, their families. When I grew up in university, I found tremendous role models. As a veterinarian, I practiced for five years. As a rancher, the last 50 years, every time I turn around, there's somebody there that I can admire and learn from. And that's what helped me have a vision. And I'm tremendously thankful for that. What I love about holistic management is that it fits so integrally to my work. So I was trained as a family counselor. And my, the first conference that I ever went to was a whole, the, at whole, with holistic management. It was a rancher from Montana. And he, he was talking about napweed, which is a very poisonous weed, on his ranch. And he said, what holistic man, management teaches me is if you look at that, Napweed, instead of taking out the uh, chemicals and just annihilating it, before you do that, ask yourself, why is it there? What purpose is it serving? And you look at things through, that's looking at things through a holistic perspective, which is why. Why is the problem there? And get to the root cause. Now, that's the same teaching that I had in family therapy training, because up until uh, a woman named Virginia Satir, who introduced, I'll digress a little bit here, but up until the 1960s, the process of family therapy was if you brought a bad kid, a quote unquote misbehaving kid to a counselor, what the counselor would do is that they would take the kid and fix the kid and fix the behavior. And what Virginia said is, hey, if, if you get a presenting problem of a problem child, she would ask, why is it there? So she was looking at the problem through a holistic lens. 
And so the napweed situation and my family therapy situation integrated completely, where we begin to look at the world through a broader lens. And as, as you said, through these three circles. And so I, I, I would love you to elaborate a little bit more on that, Don, the, 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 the components to holistic management and what the application might be to as an antidote to our uh, troubled world today? Well, um, like holistic management, I mentioned earlier about making decisions. That's the basis of it. It isn't about how to graze cattle. It's about how to live, really, is what it is. So the basis is to make decisions socially, environmentally, financially sound. I can translate that into ranch lingo, care for your people, improve the land, and make a profit. And if you want to be successful in any business, if you don't do all three of those, it's only a matter of time until you fail. So the people, the land and the money are equally important and we can't sacrifice one for the other. And what we've done in Western Canada and actually in the civilized world in the last 75 or 100 years is we've mined the land often out of ignorance. People are not mean or uh, wrong-hearted they're caring, loving people, but they didn't have the right information. So when Alan Savory discovered different ways to manage the land that are closer to what nature does, some people accepted that right away. Some had trouble, but we're moving in the right direction. And like in holistic management would teach us that everything is interconnected. Everything has a value. Everything is there for a reason. So how do I create what I want? I move from where I am today, wherever I am, to something more sustainable. And I mean, it works. It's proven all over the world. It's proven hundreds and thousands of places in Western Canada. People have a better quality of life. Their land is improving, so they're getting more production of a set land base, and they're profitable. And a better quality of life, I want to touch on that. That's an important thing. In my experience, basically in my lifetime, the goal has been get a higher standard of living. And we've done tremendously, you know, unbelievably rich and unbelievable standard of living. But if you look at the people side of things, what have we done for crime, drugs, alcohol, sexual abuse, broken marriages? We've made zero progress. In fact, we've probably gone backwards when from I was Haley's age. So we're chasing the wrong God. Instead of chasing standard of living, Let's chase quality of life and think deeply in your own mind. What would what did quality of life mean to you? And I'm going to tell you what my quality of life statement is because I've got it ready and I've thought about it for years. In my quality of life statement, it says, how do I feel about myself when I look in the mirror in the morning? How are the key relationships, how are my relationships with the key people in my life? And how is my relationship with God? And if those three are healthy and strong, I'll be happy over a wide range of standard of living. And if those three are unhealthy or sick, give me another million dollars, I'm just a grouchy millionaire. Won't make any difference at all. So our society has had the wrong value. And it comes from consumerism, advertising. You can't turn a TV or radio on that says, oh, get this brand new product. It'll make you happy. It won't make you happy. If you look at statistics, some of the wealthiest people in the world, some are very happy, some are sick and suicidal. You look at the very poorest people, some are happy, some are sick and suicidal. It has nothing to do with standard of living. It has to do with quality of life, with loving and being loved. And we can change our values. We're smart, intelligent species. We've just veered off on the wrong road for a while. We can veer back to a better road. Hmm. I like that. I wonder with the holistic management process, what does that look like if you're not a family therapist or a, a rancher? What does that look like for the average person, for somebody who's just an employee in a system or somebody who works at a grocery store or what have you, or a mom or a parent or, you know, an eight-year-old child? What does that look like? <laughs> That's a great, great question, Haley. And a third of holistic management is about people. So that applies to everybody, that third. Of it. Uh, it's about setting a goal. So as a family or as a business, you set a goal and you involve everybody. When we wrote our goals, our kids were about, I'm going to say 10 or 12 years old, and we involved them at their level of thinking into writing a family goal. 
so that the kids had power. We used a talking stick. We sat in a circle. And when the kid, one of the kids had this talking stick, mom and dad had to listen. Their brother and sister had to listen. So we're valuing people. We're making them feel important. We're letting them contribute. That applies to anybody that's alive. You take the other third of holistic management is about managing your money. Doesn't matter what you do or where you work, you're going to manage money. So we have a way to manage your money. And I can't get into too many details, but we manage it more in terms of your deepest desires and your goal, not just driven by the wind. Like, oh, the neighbor got a new Lexus. Well, I better have a Lexus. Or the neighbor got this or that, or, you know, there's more to life than that. And then the third part, the land management, really only applies as maybe where you want to buy products that they're coming from land that's managed so it will be here for 100 years. When we write our goal for our land and holistic management, we say, what do we want our land? to look like in a hundred years so that people can ranch and enjoy the lifestyle that I'm enjoying. What do we want our communities to look like in a hundred years? Do we want our communities to be fragmented? We don't have much of a community anymore, not nearly as strong as when I was a child. Do we want to continue down that road? Or would we like to have a community where people care and love and respect each other? It's our choice. So holistic management applies to anybody. I've, I've taught it to lawyers. It applied equally well as it did to a rancher. I've taught it to carpenters. They were amazed at how it applied to their business. And actually, they picked it up quicker than farmers do because farmers have too many paradigms that block the learning. So, so what it you're applies saying? to anybody. It's about having a better life. It's about living your dream. I can honestly tell you, like, one of the things holistic management did with me is help me become a lifelong learner. And as I became a lifelong learner, I became a better person. As I became a better person, I had a better life. It's just that simple. And I need to emphasize, I'm not talking about how good I am, only that I'm better than I used to be. And if we meet a year from today, I know deep in my heart, I will be a better person than I am today. And I'm going to have a better life because I'm a better person. And I want to roll here, so I'll just keep going, but cut me off if you want to. But like I journal, I started journaling about 1990. And today when I was writing down my journal this morning, I've had 28,000 654 consecutive good days. And if you did the math, you'd figure out I'm 78 and a half years old or whatever it works out to be. But that's how I feel about life. And that's how I choose. I exercise the power of choice. And I don't plan to have a bad day the rest of my life because I've got such a good track record. Why would I change it? <laughs> so <laughs> to answer your question, Haley, in a different way, in its simplest form, what I'm hearing Don say is, Let's start with the right goal. So the goal is not how much money I want to make, not what kind of house I want to live in, not what kind of car I want to drive, not how I want to impress the world with people who really don't care anyway, not how big I, not how big I want to make my business, not how far up in the company I want to get. The goal is what kind of quality of life is important to me? And then everything flows from the answer to that question. What and and for me, the quality of life would be what kind? Not unlike what Don's quality of life. What do I want my inner life to be? How do I want to feel about myself at the end of the day? What do I want my relationships to be like? What do I want the environment to be like? And then. And then set that really clearly. Now, how hard do I want to work to accomplish that? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, what's, what has, since I started to take holistic management and get an idea on this, and it had to do with a lot of my own recovery from my own mental illness, as you know, Haley, is that I started to say, I am always going to make choices financially that are below my means. So I'm going to choose things below what I can afford. So if I can afford this much money for a house, I will make sure that I, that I spend less than I can afford because that, that cushion present, prevents stress because I have a quality of life that's important to me that says, I don't want to be financially stressed. I, want to be, I don't want to let stress run my life. I want to be calm. And I'm not willing to just uh, as we say, if you try to catch up with the Joneses, as soon as you catch up with them, they're just going to refinance. 
So <laughs> I don't, I don't want to be impressing people that don't even care, but that's, that's a thoughtful, deliberate, intentional decision. Mm. And I think that's what I hear Don saying. How does that, first of all, I'd love to hear if I'm hearing Don, if I'm hearing you correctly, and if you'd like to elaborate on that, and I'd love to hear what, what your take on that Haley is in terms of your own, uh, your own application of that and what you might be able to teach young people about that. Well, I, I would agree with what you just said, David. That's kind of, you know, basically what I think too. And I mean, one of the things I think is so important, and this would really apply to Haley and her students, is that we have the power to choose. And in our society, I think we're encouraged to think we can't choose. We're just all sheep. We all got to do it the same way. There's only one way. The way is to get higher standard of living. That is wrong. So we need to challenge that. We need to say, just a minute, I'm a strong, important individual. I'm going to live my life. I'm not going to live society's life. And then you go from there. But I'd be interested to hear your comments. Yeah, I just like, I think this, like, uh, I wonder, and I'm, I'm going to throw you under the bus for a second, dad. So, because <laughs> that's what I do being your oldest daughter. It's my job. So dad, I know you're really focused on go, go, go and, and wanting to, to find success. And you've always have been, you always want to grow your business. So how do you remind yourself that it's, you know, how do you, when it's so easy to get caught in the trap of, of finding, you know, high standard of living, when it's so easy to get caught in that trap, when that's the norm, when that's an easy habit to get into, how do you break those, those thought patterns, break those practices and remind yourself it's just about the quality of life. Like dad, you're always wanting to make your business better and grow your business. How do you, what do you, what words do you have done for my dad <laughs> when he needs to slow down at this point in his life? <laughs> well, I wrestle with this and you know, I don't get this perfect. And I really, you didn't throw me under the bus at all. You've helped me look at myself and you've, you've exposed me and this is good. <laughs> Um, I wrestle with when I'm is, is to really define what success means. Now, earlier in my life, I was driven by how the world, how many views I get on my social media, how much fame I can have in my insecure days. That's where I come from. And I listen to all the success literature, all the world that says you can do anything you want. You can make all this money. And I was driven by that. And that that residue is still there. There's mm -hmm. still that voice in my mind that says, I have to prove myself. I have to be, make this business big in order to prove myself. I have to have a certain status in the world. Now, it's evolving to where I want to be better, not just, I don't, I don't need to be better off. I just need to keep getting big, being better. And what that means to me is I want to continue to make a bigger difference. And I want to make a, a difference that will outlive me. And I want to build a business that will outlive me. And Don knows that I'm in a process right now of, of, uh, of becoming obsolete over the next 10 years, where I'm helping build capacity around me so that there's a business that lives beyond me. But I have to really keep challenging myself with the exact same questions, Haley, that you just asked me because it isn't easy in this world and it hasn't been easy for me. And that's, that's why I teach authenticity because it's what I need to learn the most. That which we're most capable of teaching is what we're most in need of developing. So I know that I'm continually working on this Haley. And, uh, and, and I, I, you know, what other things I appreciate is, is that let's keep talking about this. Let's keep challenging each other. You know, dad, you know, you just keep saying, is this really the authentic self or is this society's demands that you keep being driven this way? Because I'm not relaxed when I when I try to meet some kind of standards in the world. And this is what's getting us into into trouble, our whole society. So as I look at this, I need to learn it. Don, what would you have to say about that? Well, it's um. I think you have to look inside yourself. That, that's where the answer is. And you have to come to know yourself the way you really are. And like I mentioned earlier, but I've been journaling since 1990. And that's really helped me. Like I, I look at my journaling kind of as a report card. 
because I have a vision statement and, you know, this is the kind of person I want to be, how I want to act. Mm -hmm. And then my journaling is saying, okay, how did I measure up? And if I got off track, why did I get off track? How can I prevent that next time? Things like that. Mm -hmm. And as you understand yourself better and you say, well, I can't save the world. No, but maybe I can save one person. That's mm -hmm. good enough. Mm -hmm. You know, none of us, the, the weight of the world is not on our shoulders. And I mean, I've had so many good experiences. I taught holistic management. I did private consulting. Uh, I'll just tell you a real quick story. One time, I, people had taken a course with us. They called us back 20 years later. The wife phoned. She said, we're going through divorce. Will you come and divide the estate? And I said, yeah, I guess we could do that. So we got there, sat down at the table, you know, had a brief kind of how are you, and, you know, everybody's a little tense, of course. And then we started working on what we were called to do, divide the assets. And it went on for, I would say, under an hour. And then I had an inspiration in my mind. I said, no. I said, we're not going any farther. I see too much love and respect here. I won't help you divide the estate. I'm going to ask you to work on your marriage for six months. At mm -hmm. the end of six months, if you want to divide your estate, I'll come back and help you. Wow. So Bev and I left. And we left some counseling services that helped troubled marriages. Those married people have now been married 40 years. Wow. You can't put a price tag on that. Wow. And like what allowed me to, to make that decision is that whenever I go to teach or speak or come on something like this, I don't come alone. I image how it's going to be. And I surround myself with a group of people because I'm a believer. The first one I have is Jesus. Good friends like Don and Betty Green, Dennis Wobeser, you know, whoever. So when I'm here, I'm never worried about what I'm going to say because those people are all here to inspire me. And I always say the right thing in my own mind. Now, whether you think I do or not, I don't know. But who's more important? Me. And when I evaluated my consulting, when I started teaching, I was going to evaluate my consulting, you know, how many people took cars, how big a change they do. I realized I can't control that. Mm -hmm. If people don't want to change, there's no way they're going to change. So then I started doing, evaluate myself on things I could control. Number one, it was going to be fun. I'm in charge. I make it fun. Number two, it's going to challenge your paradigms. Number three, it's going to motivate you. Number four, you're going to have answers. And number five, I'm going to learn. Those are all things I can learn. What you learn is up to you. Don, I'd like you to elaborate a little bit more. I, I teach people the importance of listening to going inside and finding your own answers. And you know, we, we live in this world that we're continually accessing outside stimulus. We wake up to our devices and we get stimulated by social media, by, and we just allow ourselves to be exposed uh, to what the world wants from us. Advertising, social media, internet, news reels. It's just continuous. We're just bombarded with information. I love this notion of journal writing. And I'm wondering if you could teach, do you teach a structure of what you do when you sit down? How do you use a journal to connect with your authentic self, Don, your spiritual self, whatever you want to call it, your inner voice? Well, I, I think mostly, David, I use it to, like I mentioned, as a report card. So, you know, I know the kind of person I want to be. That's in my mission statement. And then I say, how did I do today? And when I didn't do good, why, why did I get off track? How can I prevent that next time? So it makes me more, more calm, makes me more relaxed. It makes me um, a better listener, I believe, because that's one of the things I'd like to listen to understand. You know, So I, I don't really have a format like I've changed you know, over time. I've kind of changed how I journal. Right now I'm doing it quite short. I just get up in the morning and I journal the three things I'm grateful for. Um, and then I pick a theme for the week. And my theme this week is I want Jesus to help me walk my talk. Hmm. That's my theme. Next week, I'll have a different one. And, you know, that's I, it's very personal, but it's very effective for me. How would you use this with your students, Haley, unless you want to ask oh. another question? No, yeah, I was just going to say journaling, I find, is is such a, I mean, I also have the luxury of teaching English, so journaling is right in there. It's right in the curriculum. Got to mark them on their writing and reflect it. It's right in there. So that makes it easy for me. But I always find like it's so, 
fascinating to have them, to force them to stop and look at their, you know, strengths and weaknesses, look at goal setting, look at gratitude. Um, because you, you just like that, the whole exercise, they're all like, are we being marked on this? And I say, actually, you're not right. This is just an important thing for you to do. And yet they all put a lot of effort into it. Um, and some of them have then used writing as a tool to figure out some inner conflict. They've used uh, writing as a tool to, um, you know, expand on their goals, to do regular check-ins, to, you know, uh, get out some feelings, like in an email that they never send on purpose, right? So I think writing can be a really important tool for that. Um, but yeah, jour- journaling and, and you know, having them and, and doing those regular, I think, check-ins and report cards on things that aren't just about, you know, business related things, but those sort of personal report cards. How am I, you know, in terms of achieving my goal today and goal setting? Because that's all part of really, really important uh, student practice right now. So, and it's, it's all in the curriculum too. So it makes it easy. Well, what I like about what Dawn is saying is, is uh, to listen and be guided by an inner voice. Yeah. And, sure. you know, I see all the, all the messages that you're, I'm imagining that your high school students. Oh are my facing. God. So, oh, and, you know, yeah. and, and yet they're in the middle of making a career decision. <laughs> what are yeah. you going to do when you finish high school? Yeah. So how do you teach them? I think what Don is saying is yeah. if you can stop, just quiet the voices and, mm-hmm. you know, your parents can't give you the answer. They can be a good guide. Your teachers can be a good guide. Your friends can be a reasonably good guide, depending on the kind of friends you have. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, we have to find our own guide inside and say, what really? Let's let's turn off the voices of the world and be guided by a, a, by an inner knowing, as my mother used to say, mm-hmm. and, a, and a deep inner trusting. What do, what's your take on that? And Don, maybe you can elaborate on that. But Haley? Yeah, for sure. Like, I think it's it's really it's a it's a hard thing, I think, to do at first. I think it gets easier and easier with practice, but I think it's really hard to trust what that you know, you know, what's best for you. Um, especially right now, right? Like it's, I mean, you don't even right now, kids don't really even have to think. They just go on Google, right? They don't even have to, you know, the number of times that I've asked them questions on, you know, what goals do you have for the year? And then I turn around and they're all on Google, like goal setting, right? They're Googling, they're not even thinking about it. They just turn to other people for advice, right? So I think now is important more than ever for them to to practice that self-reflection, to practice that listening, right? To practice that trusting what they know what's up, right? Um, because I think. It's, it's, it's just so easy to just be passive in that. It's so easy to just sort of sit back and not actually engage with that. Right. Um, and I think that could be potentially why there's so many, why there's a crisis of, of one of the many reasons why there's a mental health crisis right now among a plethora of things. But I I would argue that that that's a huge piece of why there's so much depression and anxiety right now and substance abuse and things like that amongst young people, um, is that they're, they're not given the tools and the, the opportunities to practice that, you know, trusting the inner process, looking inward, self-reflecting, asking for help from people that they trust, but then ultimately making their own decision too. And being able to to meet the expectations of themselves, not the expectations of the world around them, but their own expectations. And to be able to set those goals that make realistic sense for them. And, and it's more than just being popular. You oh, know, yeah. In fact, oh, you gosh. have to look beyond being yeah. popular to being yourself because, yeah. it, you know, even when you stop and say, well, my inner voice says I want to be liked. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we all struggle with this. This is not just an adolescent issue. I think many of us, myself included, have to wrestle with this every day. And I and I think that what Dawn is saying here is it's it's a journey. You don't just get the answer. It's not a destination here. It's really a method of travel. Don, do you want to elaborate more on what what's what's your thought on this? Well, I was really impressed by what Haley just said, you know, about the kids having mental health issues. And if you just stood back and looked at the society and say, man, we got this and we've got that, and we've got, you know, counselors and doctors, and we've got a wonderful standard of living, got unlimited choice. You shouldn't be anybody with them mental health issues. So it, those kinds of statements, Haley, are true, but they show that there's something missing fundamentally missing in our society and that's what we're talking about here today really is what's fundamentally missing and i'm going to suggest if we focused on quality of life we'd fill a lot of those holes and one of the really powerful tools that i've used a lot and i still use it is imaging and you might talk to your students about that here like you know if you're going to 
a job interview or meeting with your spouse or whatever. And you say, okay, how do I want it to go? And I imagine it going the best possible way before I ever have the meeting. And athletes do that. Guys that run a four minute mile, they do that before they ever run it. All of us can do that. And all of us would benefit. And don't go alone. I never go alone anywhere. I always got somebody with me. And, you know, I change the group of people depending on what I'm looking for. If I'm going to a, a people issue kind of thing, I put all the good people that are good at people issues behind me. If I'm going to a grazing school, I put something else behind me. But I'm never alone. And that just, I mean, I, I don't think I'm arrogant, but I certainly am confident. <laughs> and I never have the wrong answer because I gave you, I speak from my heart. You may not agree with me, but you can't judge my heart as being wrong. True. But, you, but you're guided, Don, and Haley, I want to let you yeah, respond to that. Answer. But you're guided. All of that imaging is guided by a very fundamental question that you have, which is your personal mission, which is what kind of a person do I want to be today? And then now you've got a goal to, to, to hold that standard of imaging up to. You know, when I go into this job interview, what kind of a person do I want to bring into that interview? What kind of a person do I want to bring into my school today? What kind of a person do I want to be today in the world? And for me, it's about contribution and it's about being of service and it's being useful. But when we when I lose touch with that, then I start to get I, I then I get myself stressed that when I start to follow another voice rather than holding that clear image in my own mind and have that report card measured against that, not the world's standards, but my own inner standards. And this is the essence of authenticity that I teach. We, it doesn't matter what word you use, what language we use, uh, whether you use it a spiritual self, your, your higher self, your authentic self, we're all saying the same thing. Haley, what were you going to say about that? Yeah, I was just going to ask you, Don, why is it like I see so much, not cynicism, but pessimism um, with my students? And I don't know if that's that's totally anecdotal. I don't I don't know if maybe it's a larger social thing. Maybe it's this generation. I'm not sure. But I, I, I feel like a big thing with the students is that instead of visualizing it going right, they always visualize it going wrong. I'm going to fail this test. I'm, I, I probably did terrible on this assignment. I'm not going to get into that university program. Uh, I'm just going to have to quit this job because it, you know, everybody hates me. Um, nobody likes me. So why is it, I, you know, like it's so important to visualize it going right, but why do you think it is that so many people right now are visualizing things going wrong? Why is it so hard to break that paradigm? Oh, that's, that's a very good question, but also a tough one. Um, <laughs> I'm going to suggest that maybe people are smarter than we give them credit for. Mm -hmm. And you're talking about students. And if you look at what's happened to our standard of living, you know, like, however you want to measure houses, cars, whatever you want to talk about. I think a thinking person would have to say that is not sustainable. We can't continually to double, triple, you know, so maybe the students realize that and they say, there's no way, like, you know, when I graduated from high school, I got a trip to Hawaii, but I got to give my kids a trip around the world. Mm. You know what I mean? Like we've got to change our expectations. And we've been indoctrinated to think if we lower our expectations, we lower our quality of life. They're not connected at all. Mm. Happiness comes from inside you. Abraham Lincoln said, most people are about as happy as they choose to be. Once you realize happiness is a choice, why wouldn't you be happy every day? Mm. You know, I mean, like we're so powerful and we don't, we're not encouraged to say, man, are you ever powerful? Are you ever good? Develop the good, develop the power. Sky's the limit. Mm. It reminds me of, um, I, this is from a fitness instructor, but I really try to get my students on board with this line. And it's really helped me a lot that anytime I think, oh my God, I have to do this. Oh my God, I have to get this chore done. I have to clean the kitchen. I have to write this. I have to get marking done. Instead of thinking about it as I have to do it, I get to do it. 
right? And making that choice to reframe it. I get to, I get to do some marking. I get to see what my students have written for me, right? Or having these students, I get the opportunity to demonstrate my learning to my educator, right? I get the opportunity to have a workout today and move my body, right? So making that choice of, you know, just reframing it, right? Instead of I, I have to do something, but I get to do something. I get this opportunity, right? And, and that choice can be hugely beneficial for energy. I've noticed that personally too, right? Having a second win, a second round of energy is a choice. <laughs> but see, that that's a wonderful thing you just said, Haley, because if we know we have a choice, then whatever our circumstances are, we can say, well, where I am today is the sum total of all my choices in the past. And if I'm not in a good position, I can choose to make better choices. Mm -hmm. When I make better choices, I'm going to get better results. Mm -hmm. So we have to empower people. Say, you know, what's your dream? We can help you reach it. You can image, you can choose, choose wisely. You can't go wrong. And I just wanted to just regress quickly, David, what you said about when you get off track, when you start listening to the world's words. Um, that to me is a perfect example of, you know that. So as soon as you start feeling off, you just got to go back and read your, you know, read your mission statement or whatever it is. Like, cause you, you've already learned that. So don't be lured away too far or too long. And you know the answer. You don't have to figure the answer out again. You only need to figure it out once. You've done that. Well, what I'm taking away from this conversation is the reminder that we all have a to-do list in our life. But what you're talking about, Don, is a to-be list. How do you want to be in the world? Yeah, and then yeah. everything everything flows from that. I think that's now, Don, I know I could spend the day talking to you about this and philosophizing with you. My parents always used to say, don't worry about the economy. Worry about your philosophy. You get your <laughs> philosophy right. Everything will flow from there. So, Don, is there anything in conclusion that we haven't asked you that you would like to pass along to our listeners today? Anything that any perspective? Yeah, well, just like we're, you know, we're, people are getting to know me through this. So I would just like to share my mission statement. And I'll give you a little bit of background. I had heart surgery in 1985, I believe it was. Is that right, Bev? 2005. 2005, sorry, not 85. 2005. Good thing I got an encyclopedia in the room. <laughs> so in 2005, I had heart surgery. And the night before my heart surgery, I journaled, which I always do. Then I had the surgery. I came home three or four days later. Bev drove me home, all that kind of stuff. We were coming from Regina. It's a seven-hour drive to Metal Lake. I'm laying in the back seat of the car, and I'm thinking, I've got to rewrite my mission statement. So when I got home, I wrote a new mission statement. Hmm. The most interesting thing is when I went back and looked at my journal, the one I wrote before the night before the surgery was almost identical to the one I wrote after thinking in the car and writing it when I got home. Hmm. Now that's in my, I wasn't aware of that at all until it happened. Hmm. And the mission statement that I live by since my heart surgery, I greet each day with joy, peace, and optimism. Hmm. I'm thankful for the gift of today. Hmm. I spend my time wisely to accomplish my two main objectives personal growth, helping others. Hmm. That's what I'm about. I love that. I love, that. <laughs> I love you. it. That's inspiring, Don. Yeah. That's inspiring. <laughs> and you know, you really are comfortable enough with yourself. This is what authenticity, I mean, you, you live what I teach, what we both teach. And I, what, you, what you're saying is when you're comfortable with yourself, there's nobody to catch up to. There's nobody to compare yourself to except yourself. And become a better version of yourself. And I think Haley said that this afternoon sometime. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, we have a tradition in this. Uh, and I just am so grateful for you, Don. And I'm grateful for your contribution here. We, we went down many roads, but uh, there was a major theme here for me, which is just to keep ourselves centered and uh, make make decisions based on that, on where your center is. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a tradition in our podcast here that we always end with a gratitude list. Mm -hmm. We always talk about what we're grateful for. So who who shall start? I can start if you'd like. Um, I was just thinking uh, today I had the opportunity to 
um, work with elementary age students. I was just sort of helping over at the at the elementary campus of our school. So I got to work with the the little tiny little beans and I got to work with teenagers and I got to chat with you, dad, and I got to chat with you, Don. So I feel like I just feel very grateful to have these many, many years of experience, um, you know, learning from the little tiny beat, the little tiny tots all the way up to to you two. Um, and I just just like thinking the wealth of experience that I'm able to see from all these different walks of life. I'm just really grateful for that. Well, I'll go next. Thanks, Haley. Uh, I'm grateful for friendship. <laughs> I'm good. grateful for inspiration in my life because I, I can't stay, you know, being authentic and true to yourself and living uh, a, li a life that's true to yourself is a lonely journey, but it can't be done alone. Mm -hmm. I'm grateful for the inspiration of the two of you today. I'm grateful for a relationship with you, Haley, that you can feel safe enough to challenge me and say, Dad, come on, you're not <laughs> practicing what you're preaching here. Let's get with it. And uh, for us to have a good heart to heart, because it isn't about being perfect. It's being human, but it's holding ourselves accountable. We can't just preach this stuff. We have to make an effort to live it. It's a way of life. And I love what I've heard today. And I, and I love the inspiration. And I'm grateful for the inspiration I've had in our conversation here in this last hour. <laughs> well, um, I'm thankful for meeting Haley again, as a young adult. That's great. And of course, David and I go back to the you know late 1980s, and David has been a huge influence in my life. And we have a, a very—I want to say—a very unique relationship because we don't talk a lot, we don't connect a lot, but we're always able to connect and to help each other. And that's really rare. Like we don't have to keep feeding it every day. We can feed it once a month or once in six months. And it just, it's just like it never stopped. And I think that's really rare. And it's, it's helped me so much. And, you know, when I talked about uh, imaging, who's going to be with me, often David is with me in all circumstances. Hey. And then I, I want to say thank you and gratitude for my uncle Stanley. I've just been doing some work with Sage. And when we started off today, David, I think you mentioned something about I have a strong character. And my uncle Stanley, my dad's brother, he was an alcoholic. He lived with us when I was about 15 years old. Had a big impact on me. It made me really see how alcohol just ruined his life and how it affected my mom and dad and the unconditional love they gave him. So I decided when I was 15, I'd be a non-drinker. And of course, that made me, you know, different. And I had to develop a strong character, and I did that. And then when I got to be about 40 years old, I realized... I didn't only have a strong character about not drinking. I had a strong character, period. And so much of my life, like going on the holistic management journey, when it was completely foreign and completely out of touch, nobody, everybody thought we were crazy. But my character said, I'm going to do it because I think it's right. And the big part of my success comes from that strength of character, which came directly and indirectly from Uncle Stanley. And today has been just absolutely, I didn't know how it was going to go. I wasn't, I didn't really prepare. I thought the answers will come to me. Why wouldn't they I always have? So I just came cold and it worked wonderfully. Thank you. Thank agree. you. Thank you. Thank you to both of you. This is such a treat. What a great opportunity. Well, let's, let's remind our listeners and ourselves that we're taking away this notion of a quality of life first decide your quality of life and i'll tell you part of my quality of life is to make sure that i sustain friendships like this and love like this in my life thank you both welcome welcome and we'll be in touch <laughs> and as we say every week stay real <laughs>